Do you, guys want, do you guys want to come back in two weeks, or do you want to call it a year? Ponder. We'll go at the end. We, didn't, we need something, well, we need something to do. You can tell we've been fishing around a little bit because we had this little three-week thing which was too short to do anything, so we did a couple of things, and then we did the thing we're doing today. But we'd have, uh, let's see, in two weeks, it will be 12th, it'll be, so we'd be coming back on the 19th, would be the Friday, no, it'll be the 18th of April. By about mid-May, nobody can pay attention. So it'd be, a little, it'd be like a little three or four week thing. So think about if you want to do a little three or four week thing or not, okay? I mean, we certainly will if you want to. If you have an idea what you want to do, that's fine. Yes, please. <laughs> Could you tell? <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, not knowing what's happening is a great way to go through life. <laughs> One of the things I've learned over the last 50 years is knowledge is way overrated. <laughs> you just, just keep going with a good heart, okay? All right, well, we'll but we, we, would, we would be happy to do, I mean, we're, the only reason we're doing what we're doing today is because a couple of people asked. We knew we would thin the crowd with the topic today, but there are some people, so we weren't, well, no, we, we did, because here's the thing. We're, the, today won't be about us telling you why confession, private confession absolution is good. Today is just about presuming that you think it's good. Here's a couple things to know about it. So this is, um, oftentimes we're sort of making the case for things, but we're not actually making the case for it today. It's just, if, if you want to do it, we're going to keep hours during Holy Week, are we not? What, time, what hours are we keeping? There'll be somebody there. <laughs> uncle Tom Spellacy, Kirby's Irish Catholic uncle, used to say, you know, you could always tell which priest to go to. You go to the priest with the longest line. <laughs> that, that's how you tell if there's a gracious priest. Everybody, because, you know, if you have priests and different ones, there'll be people. So you won't know if it's going to be Bruzic, Gatig, or Nelson. You won't know who's there. He said, yeah, he'd, there'd be one priest. He said he'd always have the long line and the other. So he said, you'd be careful which priest you go to. Everybody knew they got off lighter for the one guy. So, well, is it really? People start to figure it out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> well, partly we want to partly we want to talk about that today. When we get to the we'll get to the point of uh, talking a little bit. We, we should talk about what that that um, why that shouldn't be the case and why why confession and absolution shouldn't be such so different from normal life. All right, little hey, little little uh, biblical quiz. What's the first thing that the Lord did when He did it? So think back to Genesis. Think back to the story, they're hovering, you know, over the waters. What's the first thing that the Lord did? Do you remember? Good. Now, even just, even just scooch back and forth. That's very good. You're exactly right. That's day one. Uh, he did speak, so now, yes, and what happens in between there? There's sort of the famous Hebrew, Hebrew phrase. Do you remember? Thank you, yes. Things were tohu wabohu. That is, they were formless and void. They were chaotic. So the world is whatever is there. And, of course, you can figure out how there could be chaotic stuff before there was stuff. You know, the, the, the text has no interest in telling you that kind of stuff. What the text is interested in telling you is that things are, are chaotic. Okay? Which I would just suggest to you is your normal life. Okay? And most people, most people I know, their lives are chaotic. You know, it just, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means life is difficult. Outside of Eden, life is chaotic. So it was chaotic, the Lord brought order, then it gets chaotic again. You live in chaos oftentimes. 
that's a great sadness, but now, Carol, how did the Lord, how did the Lord of Jan, the Lord takes chaos, and he gives it order, and how does he do that? He speaks. Um, this someday, when Ganey's a famous man, you'll, because of his dissertation, uh, his, his, his whole dissertation is about the sacramental word. So there's chaos, and then he speaks, uh, and then there's order. Beyond that is order. Now, um, that's true uh, in at least a couple of ways, but one of them is, uh, this, is how, this is how confession works. This is how absolution works. You come in with uh, the chaos of your sins, and then the Lord speaks. And you remember the speaking, which we've been trying to get you to um, kind of use this term. The speaking is the viva vox, uh, the living voice. You know, this, this is roughly viva Las Vegas if you're an Elvis fan, right? And vox gramophone voice, you know? So it's, it's just easy, is it not? And Barb, if you're old enough to remember what a vox gramophone was, all I can do is forgive that, okay? <laughs> so uh, you know, there's nothing else I can do for you. So this is the living voice of Jesus, and there's no, it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus is the word who speaks words. So what, Pastor? Can't steal this because this is a dissertation line. There you go. So Gainix was saying, that's his, when he said that to his dissertation advisor, he said, is that you or somebody else? It's me. He said, write it down so nobody steals it. So the word words you and gives you a word to say. So that's what happens with the viva vox, the living word, the vox, the living word. And of course, you get yourself a capital W on that. The living Christ comes to you, and he speaks order into your life. There's at least two ways that that can happen. One is, um, is uh, in the very act of, of, of confession. Now, you've got to hear me in a, you've got to hear this in the most gracious way. Um, there was, when I, there, often people have the false antithesis between the prayers that come from your heart and the prayers that are in a book. But I've often encouraged you to, to, to learn some book prayers before you do some heart prayers because, um, as I've said to you before, your heart prayers often just look like, I want a pony, I want a pony, give me a pony, I want a pony, Right? They just, you just get sort of mixed up in, as opposed to praying. We had that great prayer from Basel, I think I've shown you, where he said, we pray for those who are enslaved. We pray for those who work in the mines. We pray for those in ships on the seas that swallow them up when they know not. We pray, and you know, the thing is, is you probably haven't thought to pray for anybody in the mines for a while, but can you imagine being a miner? That's a job I wouldn't want. Somebody came to my office the other day, he said, I started as in the mining industry. I'm like, have you ever, you know, you, how'd you like to walk around like this all day thinking it's about to come in on you? I'm like, we should pray for those people. That's not a good job, okay? That's not a great job. But we would normally never think to pray that way. So in the way that your prayers kind of need order, not because one is right and one is wrong, but because things can get better, more broad, more thoughtful, more loving. In the same way, if you're all sort of broken up, um, it is perfectly fine to say the Lord's Prayer, forgive, forgive us our trespasses. Or it's per perfectly fine to say, the sinner's prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, you know, the Orthodox, they give you that, you start saying that 10,000 times a day. That's your starting point toward prayer without ceasing. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's very much a prayer begging for absolution. But sometimes you're kind of so broken by things, or you're so misfocused, or sometimes unattentive, or so, so, so sort of uh, uh, fractured that you need some order to the normal act of forgiveness. And sometimes we're just forgetful. If we didn't have absolution on Sunday, would you ever think to ask for forgiveness, except when you do something really big or you make somebody really mad? Would you, would you, sort, of, would you sort of remember that you sin with every act? That's the law harsh part of it. And would you also remember that it's only a good work after it's forgiven, so every act needs to be forgiven? Would you, would you kind of remember that? The, the church has always said, you probably wouldn't. We just aren't that attentive to our lives. Um, the other, so, so one thing is, is the um, confession uh, gives order to talking about your sinfulness. And you know, uh, it's just, it's funny. Um, if you've ever been in therapy or, or known people who've been in therapy or if you've been in any organization that's been subjected to family systems theory or if you, if you pay money, big money, to have people come in as management consultants, one of the things they'll tell you is that what ruins an organization is, is secrecy because secrecy easily goes to lies. In families, that's the reason families have interventions when they get desperate. It's the reason that um, you know, families that are built on secrecies, on the unspoken things, on the things that never can be said at Christmas dinner. That's why they all like, you know, that's why they're all, that's why everybody sits like this, right? Because they can't sort of admit what's actually in the water, right? So, so secrecy is always, secrecy, which easily goes to lies, is, is always the thing that destroys a family, an organization, even a person. Well, partly what happens is, in confession, is it gives an order for kind of getting that all out on the table in a very sort of normal, systematic, disciplined way, which is not to say that it is surprising or, you know, uh, unusual. In the church, this is just the normal way, and we're going to talk about kind of what the normal way means. So in one sense... The reason, you go to, the reason you go to private confession is it orders your confession. I've lived as if God did not matter and as, as if I mattered most, first commandment. I haven't, ordered the, I, I haven't honored the Lord's name as I should, second commandment. My worship and prayers have faltered, third commandment. There are things that I should have done and those things that I didn't do. There are those whom I should have loved and folks I didn't love, fourth commandment, fifth commandment, sixth commandment. What particularly troubles me is all this stuff that is scattering my life. So there's a way that that orders your life. But beyond that, when you go back out into the world, having done that then, it also reorders your life. What happened in creation, where things, was where things were chaotic, they then become, uh, the viva vox comes to you. Do you believe that the word I speak to you is from the Lord himself? Yes, I do. In the sin, by the command of Christ, I forgive you all your sins. It's like it erases the pastor, and it's the viva vox. Jesus himself speaks to you, and you're actually touched, and you get the sign of the cross because it's Jesus speaking. So, so you actually hear Jesus talk to you, and when you get up and leave, then your life is ordered too. So you, you order both your confession and your life. Does that make sense? Which is exactly how it is when you're uncomfortable in any situation. Name a situation that makes you uncomfortable. 
Thank you very much. Uh, name some, some analogous situations that make you uncomfortable. I could name some. You ever had your will drawn up? You had your will drawn up yet? How many of you? How, well, I shouldn't ask you. Because uh, some people are so frightened of thinking of death and things about death and where their kids are going and what happens if your plane crashes. They just can't face it, right? Or your annual physical. How's that go for you? Yeah. Um, I'm a stranger. Could you take off all your clothes? And now I'm going to poke you with things that are sharp and get to know you just a little bit better. You know? Uh, what else? I mean, things like, what else? You've been to court? I'm not asking for a confession, but you ever been to court? Yeah, you're out of your element, aren't you? There's a, there's a person up there in, uh, there's a man in a dress uh, and a man with a gun. So, and then this guy over here is in orange with handcuffs. So you can, you're feeling a little bit unsettled, right? And you're just like, that's not your norm. But, but how, do you bring, how do you bring order to that? Or a funeral, right? Have you been, and it may be a family like this, have you been, to, have you been with a family where somebody's died and they're unchurched? What happens? What happens? Everybody is nervous, and they don't know what to do. So they start doing stuff. Sometimes they don't do anything. Or they just start doing stuff. They play Eric Clapton, because that makes you feel better. Uh, they go out, they send out for pizza, right? I mean, they, people just start doing things, as opposed to what happens when a pastor comes, and what happens when the liturgy comes. It orders the space, right? So Gaydick and I spent, you know, um, we spent Wednesday in the NICU at, at, uh, at Edwards. They were so gracious. We had a Lutheran nurse who completely got it. She sets up a little thing. She pushes over the table. He sets up the Eucharist. I get ready to baptize the child. They give us enough room that we can gather people around. And they let us, if you've been, ever been in a, in, a, in a neonatal intensive care, it's always a very hushed tone. So they sort of let us have the mass and a baptism, and it sort of filled the room. And they were utterly respectful. So what happens is you come to this chaotic situation where the child may die, and suddenly there's order. There's life where there is kind of a threat against life. Okay? So what happens is, is what, what happens with a, with a liturgy, what happens with an order, and I don't just mean you know, what's on page five of this book? There are, you know, dozens of liturgies. But what happens with a good liturgy is it orders life when you actually don't know what's going to happen, right? So a good doctor says to you, okay, here's what I'm going to do. This is going to pinch, right? Here we go. Or um, a good lawyer will say to you, now you want to stand up and smile when he enters the room. <laughs> and I told you to wear a tie, uh, you know. I mean, right? So you see what will happen? Or... It, it, so, so that's, it gives order to your life to what is naturally a chaotic thing. Okay, does that make sense? So, so it's not about, there's not any kind of great mystery. There, there shouldn't be any surprises. Um, but what it does do is uh, it tries to bring you through your sadness and your sickness to a point, it's not always going to be pleasant, but in the end, it will be ordered, and that gives you a chance to go on. Make sense? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, you know, sort of, I got five more things. You want to talk a little bit? I mean, have you got, have you got something you want to say? Because you know what will happen. I'll, I'll just, yeah. Because <laughs> I'll just keep going. Uh, does, do you have something that goes next? Huh? Do you want to do that, Ben? Oh, I can't no, too. I do. I, guess. I do. I do. Okay, good.
You want to pass some stuff out? Uh, yeah, why don't you hand that out? Just right there. Um, it is, I, as you were talking, I had never heard you talk about, I mean, we do this dog and pony show at all the new member classes, but I'd never heard you talk about order like this. It was very striking. The first time I went to confession out here with a, with a different pastor, um, I remember I was so caught off guard because when I entered the room, he said, we sat down, we, there's chit-chat, which, you know, take it or leave it, it wasn't a big deal to me, but um, he said, okay, you can start anytime you want. And uh, it, was, it was very, it caught me off guard because there was no order to it. And I thought, so I began to just recite from memory what I had heard, you know, hundreds of times. Um, Dear pastor, hear my confession. Um, but it is true, without the order, there's something else standing in the way then of, of receiving all the gifts. So order is very important. I think sometimes people come in and, and there's almost a fear of the chaos that goes along with confessing. So we give you something to combat that. Probably the other nervousness is the fear that somehow, uh, one of two things, either we'll hear something we've never heard before, which I'm, I haven't been a pastor that long, but I'm beyond that point. Um, <laughs> there's nothing you haven't heard before. Or, or secondly, that um, somehow this will come up again. So I give you something here from, from Kapan, which is very helpful. And let me just, let me tell you a little story before we look at this thing from Kapan. I had someone in, this was years, you know, a couple years ago, and this person finished the confession, we finished the absolution, and uh, this person said, and I, I probably told you this, this person said, well, let's talk about all that stuff I just confessed. To which I said, what stuff? He said, well, all that stuff I just confessed, I wanna talk about those things. I said, what stuff? I don't recall. And there's this, there's this, I think, deep down, especially maybe in, in, in Lutherans, it's very different when you have a single male priest who sits in a box, who can't see you, who goes back to the rectory, and really there's no one else to talk to. But there's a different understanding of what happens to your sins there, I think, than in a Lutheran church where you know, your pastor is not sitting in a box, he's face to face, he goes home to his family. There might be nervousness that somehow the stuff that's been confessed gets back out. Um, but I, I assure you, once it's forgiven, as it says in the Psalms, he puts his sins as far from you as east is from west. Okay? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from you. Remember in the Old Testament? I mean, it's Lent time, so you probably... How many of you know the hymn, Not All the Blood of Beasts? You could sing it for us, couldn't you? 99 in TLH, I think. Um, that's a great hymn which talks about the Old Testament sacrificial system. Remember in the Old Testament when they, had a, when they had the scapegoat, what did they do with it? First they would, remember? Yeah, yeah. not only bless it, but they would take, the priest would, the priest would take his hands and put it on the scapegoat's head. And remember what he'd do then? Speak the sins of the people. And actually the, the word in the Hebrew there for putting his hands on the scapegoat's head is the same word that's used when... Um, when he, when, is it Samson that pushes out the pillars, right? That's the strength of pushing out the pillars is the same Hebrew word that's used when it says he puts his hands on the scapegoat's head, okay? Which is fascinating. And then he sends the scapegoat out in the wilderness. Do they ever see it again? Never again. So in the Old Testament, once the sins go to the scapegoat and the scapegoat is gone, they're never remembered again, Okay? And then you know in the great hymn, not all the blood of beasts, but Christ, our heavenly lamb, who takes our sins away, right? Um, my faith would lay its hand on that dear head divine. 
which is reminiscent then of the Old Testament, putting your sins right on Jesus' head. But once they go to Jesus, they're never remembered again. So look at Kapan then. Uh, look at the side that says uh, losing is the mechanism of... Uh, no, actually look at the other side first. I'm sorry. 296, it's circled there. Confession is not a medicine leading to recovery. If we could recover, if we could just say that beginning tomorrow or the week after next we would be well again, why then all we would need to do would be apologize, not confess. We could simply say that we were sorry about the recent unpleasantness, but to thank God and the resilience of our better instincts, it is all over now. And we could confidently expect that no one but a real nasty would say us nay. But we never recover. Okay? This is the point from Sunday's Bible study, you know? It's death, Ephesians 2, necros. We never recover, we die. And if we live again, it is not because the old parts of our life are jiggled back into line, but because without waiting for realignment, some holy other life takes up residence in our death. God does not do things tit for tat. Grace, I'm sorry, does not do things tit for tat. It acts finally and fully from the start. So one of the one of the nervousness, especially if you're a former Roman Catholic, and, and I'm not, so if I'm off, tell me. But one of the nervousnesses oftentimes with former Roman Catholics is if you don't confess every specific sin, then those sins don't get forgiven, right? Is that right? You've got you've to you've confess every sin, and if it's not confessed, it's not forgiven. So you agonize before you go to confession over what you're going to say. Because if you forget something, you know, God bless you, but uh, you, know, you may be on the outskirts of heaven. Okay, so that's not the way it works in the scriptures. I remember in the scriptures, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And we've, you know, we've drawn this on the board a million times. There the language of sin is in the language of addition. What, two plus two plus two, and grace is the language of multiplication. Two times two times two. The Lord does not work tit for tat. You've got 36 sins and he gives you 36 absolutions. His absolution, his forgiveness overcomes every last sin you've got. And for that reason, he doesn't just realign your life, he takes up residence in your death and forgives every last sin and forgets about them. Flip it over, look at the other side. This is great, this Kapan stuff is so great. And to take the other side of the coin, absolution too becomes another matter. It is neither a response to a suitably worthy confession it's not how well you say it there. If you come to confession, especially if it's your first time, um, it's going to be nerve-wracking, and you may not exactly even know what to say. That's part of the reason why we give you an order. But there is a point where it says, what troubles me particularly, and then you can begin to talk about certain things that trouble you. There, you're not going to have any, any idea what to say. But it's not about how well you say it. Nor the acceptance of a reasonable apology. Okay. Absolution in Latin means not only to loosen, to free, to acquit, it also means to dispose of, to complete, to finish. They are done with. When God pardons, therefore, he does not say he understands our weakness or makes allowances for our errors. He doesn't say, I could understand how you wanted to go rob that bank, or I could understand how you wanted to look at that person crossways. I understand all that, but no, he didn't say any of that. He doesn't understand. Rather, he disposes of, he finishes with the whole of our dead life and raises us up with a new one. He does not so much deal with our derelictions 
as he does drop them down the black hole of Jesus' death, he forgets our sins in the darkness of the tomb. He remembers our iniquities no more in the oblivion of Jesus' expiration. He finds us, in short, in the desert of death, not in the garden of improvement. You're not getting any better, neither am I. And in the power of Jesus' resurrection, he puts us on his shoulders rejoicing and brings us home. Okay, that, of course, is a reference to the lost sheep, right? So here's how confession works. It works utterly without excuses, okay? So if you come in, we hope many of you do, and it's a, little, it's a little calmer and more comfortable if you come during Holy Week in the church. If you come in, we don't expect you to say, I did this for this reason or I did that for that reason. We don't really care, and neither does Jesus. What Jesus cares about is what you've done. So confession without excuses and absolution or forgiveness without conditions. We don't tell you to do anything. You're completely forgiven, and it's completely forgotten. If Jesus forgets your sins, which Kapana showed you he does, and so does the scriptures, if Jesus forgets your sins, there's no possible way that those of us who stand in Jesus' stead could ever remember them again either. Okay? So when you leave, it's done with. Completely forgotten. We don't go home and talk about it. We don't talk about any of you. Um, in fact, we're very careful even to talk about who comes to confession, uh, but certainly never, ever, ever uh, what's been confessed. You remember uh, in the rite of ordination, it says something to the effect of, do you promise never to divulge the sins confessed to you? Okay? Uh, and in the Australian rite, it gets it better. Do you promise never to divulge the sins confessed to you, and will you despair of no man? Okay? All the sins that are confessed are never brought up again because they're forgiven and forgotten, and we never despair of any person, regardless of how great or how small the sin may be. That makes sense? Yeah. There's no difference in the absolutions. So whenever the Lord touches you, he brings everything he's got, including forgiveness. So when he touches you at baptism, he forgives you. When he touches you at the Eucharist, he forgives you. When he touches you in the sermon, he forgives you. When you say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, and he forgives you, he forgives you. When you say your prayers at night, you know, forgive us our trespasses, he forgives you. And in private confession, he forgives you. Now, I would at least propose to you the reason private confession is very helpful is not because it's a different sort of forgiveness, but because part of leaving your sins at the altar, this is a sermon on Sunday, if we could just leave our sins here, part of leaving them there is to verbalize them. Dr. Phil makes a killing because people come on his show and verbalize their sins. Oprah makes a killing. All these talk shows make a killing. The problem is they don't forgive people the way Jesus does. So part of leaving those there, part of making your way through that, part of having Jesus pull you through the muck and mire of your sin, because the prodigal son, is to have you speak those things. It helps you as much as it helps Jesus. Okay? He can forgive you regardless of where you ask for it or when you ask for it, but for your sake, Luther's thing was for the, you know, for the comfort of the terrified conscience. If you have things that greatly trouble you, 
that's a reason to come and verbalize them. It's also just part of the discipline of the Christian life. Luther says also, when I urge you to confession, and this is private confession, I simply urge you to be a Christian, which is fascinating. So he doesn't, you remember in the, in the early church and even up until Luther, the confession that you have in the divine service on Sundays wasn't actually part of the service. So everybody, it was just the normal rhythm of the Christian life to go to confession, but there are, there are some added benefits like actually speaking your sins, which is very helpful. When people can speak them, it's much more easy to be done with them. It should be the same um, if, if those sins are forgiven and forgotten. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Scary. Yeah, um, part... I think that's part of the relationship of a husband and a wife, or a mother and a father, or a mother and a daughter, that... Yeah. Part of it, um, part of it is just trusting your pastor, which uh, can be very difficult. I mean, can very, be very, very difficult at times. Um, but it's partly trusting Jesus because that's what Jesus has put pastors in place to do. So if you've got so, and take this, I believe me, I'm not. I'm take this in the right way. If you've got a nervousness or a beef about that, we should take that up with Jesus because Jesus has said pastors are put in place to do certainly um you know we're human beings but we try very very hard and i and i take very seriously the notion and i'm sure and the other guys do as well of what it means to stand in the stead of christ um and what it what it means to actually forget those sins it's amazing how the lord it's almost like divine forgetfulness i think i, I think i wrote down yeah divine forgetfulness it's amazing how the lord gifts pastors with the ability to not remember what was confessed by people. I actually couldn't tell you. I just heard confession this week. I actually can't remember what was confessed because I don't care that much about what's been confessed. What I care about is a confession without excuses and delivering absolution without conditions. So, yeah, we, I mean, every day, every day is a fresh start for a pastor, and every day uh, you pray that you despair of no man, which is what that would be. If we were to look at you differently, we'd be despairing of someone. But um, I think the Lord is good, and we've been fairly good at not doing that. Do you have any? You can. You might add something to that. I think part of it is uh, um, your question is is asked from on on sort of the basis of friendship, and that's an okay way to ask the question. But at the end of the day, yeah. I mean, part of, everybody has different kinds of training in their life. Part of the thing. You know this old C.S. Lewis phrase of of, of um, in the church at the church we love we love we love people that we don't necessarily like. So partly your question is a good question, but partly it doesn't hit the nail on the head. <clears throat> For example, I've talked with both the young guys. What people often presume of us is if we don't like you, then we won't serve you. Now that's that's analyzing our relationship in terms of friendship, or I'd even say in terms of the world. Actually. We serve the people we don't like better than the people that we do like. It's a professional overcompensation because we realize in being human, one of the natural things that humans do when they don't like somebody is draw back. 
So professionally, what we do is we sort of uber-serve the people that we don't like. So we absolutely make sure with people that we don't like, all our T's are crossed and all our I's are dotted. And that's kind of how we move through here. And that's one of the odd assumptions about pastors here is that if, if there's a perception we don't like you, then we won't serve you. Actually, just the opposite is true. If we don't like you or there's a perception we don't like you, we serve you better than other people. And that's, it's a little like if your doctor doesn't like you, he still does the heart transplant and he makes sure that all the sutures are straight. Um, you know, if your lawyer doesn't like you, he still makes sure it's all. So you've asked a complicated question, which I've often said, you've probably heard me say, it's very difficult to be friends to a pastor because I have a friend relationship with you and a pastor relationship with you. And a couple things always happen, which is people think um, we're going to nod in your direction because we're friends and sort of give you a break. Actually, that's the last thing we're going to do if we're friends. Because if I have to choose between being your pastor and being your friend, I'll be your pastor. A generation ago at the seminary, two generations ago, they used to tell pastors going out. In fact, I still had a woman, an old professor's wife, said to me, to Kirby and I before we left the seminary, never make a friend in your parish. And you could talk to Anita Eifert sometime about, you know, their first call was to an, or first or second call was to an island off Vancouver. And they'd been given this same advice. So they're on an island, okay, first. So very few people there, and the church is the center of hub of all social things, and your instructions of Pastor White is don't have any friends. Talk to Anita, Anita Eifert about that sometime, what her life was like. Very interesting kind of life. And sometimes we've tried to manage it in a different way, which is to have people as friends, and still be pastors. It's very complicated, um, but the pastor thing always comes first. If I have to choose between being a pastor with no friends and being a friend not be a pastor, I take a pastor with no friends. But I try to have both. Uh, it's a little like, ask the same question about could your lawyer be your friend, could your doctor be your friend, could your accountant be your friend. It's the same, it's not a dissimilar question. Um, what do you have next? I guess I was, you, you made me think of a scat of things as well as we're talking. Um, I, you know, do you know Father Richard John Newhouse who just died? You know, I was going to think about this, I was going to let you tell the story, but do you know him? He was a great Lutheran pastor and then he became a Catholic priest in, in New York, and uh, he just died. Uh, we run his quotes from time to time. He's a Missouri Senate guy. I mean, he was, in the last generation, one of the three or four brightest guys uh, who came out of the Missouri Senate. I mean, and in fact, when Benedict became the Pope, he was regularly on television. He was apparently a close friend of, of Benedict, yeah? Very close friend, and so he was the one that was actually giving the commentary on one of the, on one of the channels uh, when, when Benedict you know, came to be Pope, he was explaining what was going on and trying to soften his image because he had this image of being a hard intellectual who couldn't compromise. And he's, you know, has turned out not to be that at all. You never hear that criticism about him now a couple years in. He's turned out to be this unbelievably brilliant and yet very loving man. Anyway, Newhouse just died um, six weeks ago. And they had his funeral and the place was packed. Bishops, archbishops, they had in this little, little parish in uh, his parish where he had mass every morning at 7.30 in New York City. And some people from the neighborhood were stunned. It was like, who are all these people here? And when they interviewed some of them, they said, we had no idea. They said, well, why did you love him? And he, he edited this magazine first thing. I mean, he's extraordinarily famous. He's extraordinarily influential. They said, we had no idea. They said, well, why are you here? They said, he's the one who heard our confession. Now that is just, you know, if the Lutheran Church would ever get to the point where they'd say of their pastors, 
why do you love him? Because he's the one who heard my confession. That would be a whole different kind of relationship. Um, and I would suggest that that's probably you know, the relationship the way that it should be. Um, one other thing to your question, too. It's a very nice question. It's a similar question because people often say, we're forgiven when we remember our baptism at the invocation. We're forgiven again in the Kyrie, Lord have mercy. We're forgiven again, the Lord be with you, as means I love you and I forgive you. And with your spirit means I love you and forgive you too. And then we said, great, let's pray. You know, so there's constant forgiveness. But I would suggest one of the reasons is, is that people don't prepare. That is, I, I'd say very few people prepare for Sunday morning absolution. And, and when you go to private absolution, you actually do prepare. Sometimes people write lists. You sort of go through. And, you're, and in fact, I'm going to give you uh, one thing. I'm a little scared of it because it's a bit harsher than, than either of us are comfortable with. But then it's already printed out, and we'll give it to you, and we'll talk about it. But I, uh, it's harsher because, uh, well, I don't, if anything I say will be judgment. Um, Jesus is quite generous. Let me just say that Jesus is quite generous with us. Um, you know, can we pass the form out? I, I just want to, I, I, let me give you a couple practical words of advice if you come. One will be prepare, and we'll, we'll look at this, and maybe that's the last thing we'll do. But I would, I would say a couple of things. Um, one is, when you come, <clears throat> in your nervousness, or apprehension, or great sinfulness. This can happen even if you've been going for a long time. Don't try to control the experience. Okay, let the experience happen to you. Sometimes people will come, and in their nervousness, they'll try to control the experience. Um, they'll, they'll, it'll be everything from don't say that, do say this, talk more, talk less. Here's the thing. Um, don't give your confessor any advice because you're there under the liturgy to be given to. And as soon as you try to shave the edges or you try to control it or you'll say, um, don't say that or don't let that happen, as soon as you do that, you've now asserted your own dominance over the viva vox. Just let it happen, okay? And that can go wrong in a dozen different ways. Um, uh, and, and people always invent new ways to try to control the experience. So my, my broad thing is, don't control the experience. Be nothing but given to when you come. Does that make sense? Just don't try to control the experience. If it says kneel, you kneel. If Obviously, if you're able, if you've got two bad knees and can't kneel, you know that's fine. If the pastor's going to touch you and put the sign of the cross on your head, let him touch you. If, if um, you know, if he, if he takes you places and you're, you know, just, just don't try to control the experience, okay? Just, just don't try to control it. That'd be my first thing. Um, the second thing I would say is, I, and I've tried to learn, one, one of the things is that, that pastors are impoverished because when I came through the seminary, nobody heard private confession. Um, they, they do offer it now, and I've been to the seminary when I preach there or visit. I often hear confession before chapel. Uh, but um, I guess the second thing I'd say is, I'm going to leave this for you. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave this for you. Um, I would say I've grown into 
talking in the middle of this. If you look at this, this is pretty straightforward. The pastor says, have you got this? It's small print, sorry, but you'll know this almost by heart. Dear pastor, hear my confession. Okay. Yes, of course. Is there a difference? Is there a difference? And no. Yeah, good. Good answer. Yes and no. So there is a difference because um, Jesus was born of Mary and I wasn't. But he also says, um, he who hears you hears me. So there was a pastor in Nebraska a few years ago, Missouri Synod pastor. A little boy came up to him and said, you're Jesus. And the pastor said, yes, I am. And they, he was the frog. Uh, the problem is, is that the long history in the church, St. John Chrysostom says, when the, past, when the priest extends his hand with the Eucharist, it's not the priest who extends his hand, it is Christ himself who gives you his body and blood to eat. So the answer is yes and no. But a better answer for Lutherans would be yes, because they so easily say no, and they play Jesus off against their pastor. So think of it this way. Whenever I say to you or do to you what Jesus says and does, then I'm Jesus. In the stead and by the command. There's like seven ways in the absolution the pastor says, I have called, that means you did it, I didn't do it, ordained, that means I went face down and promised to do only what Jesus said. Servant, which means this isn't my idea and I have a master, that's why I wear a collar like a dog. I wear a collar. Ganig wears a collar. Why does Ganig wear a collar? Like a dog, he's got a master. Servant of the word, viva vox, not my words, big words. So in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. So stead is an English word that means for your advantage. It doesn't just mean the place. It doesn't mean I just stand in the place. It means I stand in the place for your advantage. In the stead and by the command. So he told me to do this. I'm going to do just what he said. I forgive you. Plus, he's vested, so he erases himself, and all you know about me is mouth, hands, and feet. I have feet so I can get to you. I have hands so I can touch you. I can give you the Eucharist, baptize you. I have a mouth so I can speak to you. So the pastor has erased his, himself in about seven different ways. So, so the answer is yes and no. If I speak for Bruzek, the answer is no. If I speak for Christ, the answer is yes. Okay? But our default as Lutherans, our default is too much no and not enough yes. Because what happens then is that when people, when I say to you, Barb, you've just told a lie, your, your way to defend against that is to say, that's just Bruzek, or that's just your opinion, you see? Or that, that doesn't feel right to me, or you hurt me. There's a dozen ways that you deflect based on you just appeal to Bruzek and not appeal to Christ. So here's the thing that I want you to do. I don't want you to appeal to me. I don't want you to do anything for me, for me, because I'm a pastor. I want you to do what you do because I stand, called, ordained, in the stead, by the command, vested, and not about me. Now, of course it's me, but it's not me. Can you bundle all that up as you come? Yeah, and, it's, and see, we have the other side of that, which is what I have to do is speak to you in a way that you can hear, love you in a way that you're comfortable, be honest with you, even when it hurts you. Sometimes people say, oh, you hurt me. And the answer is, yeah, I know. It hurts you when you get a rabies shot, too. But it's better than the rabies, okay? I mean, I understand I hurt people sometimes. But people equate hurt with wrong. Now, sometimes hurt is right. When I say to you, Barb, you're a liar, what you should say is, thank you very much, because a lie could damn a person like me. Make sense? 
So what you have to, it's a great question because that's exactly the point where people fumble already. See, we're one line in, we're four words in, and people already fumble. Okay, so that goes exactly to my point. Don't try to control it. I'm not saying you did. You asked a brilliant question, okay? So I'm saying, don't try to control it. Just have what the Lord has given here, okay? It's a great question. It's a great question and heartily misunderstood by Lutheran types. So, dear pastor, hear my confession. And then the pastor immediately, you see, deflects or he puts himself into or, or only claims authority from or only answers because of the office. Let's begin in the name of God. So not about me, not in the name of me. Let's begin in the name of God. And to be in the name of God is to be ambassador, is to be messenger, is to be servant, is to be doing God stuff. When the Secretary of State goes to Gaza, to Iran, to Iraq, to China, the Secretary of State speaks on behalf of the President. And if she doesn't, she's fired, right? Because she's a messenger. She goes in the name of the President. So let's begin in the name of God to to whom all hearts are open. So he knows it already, right? He knows it. It's like your prayer. You're not praying to let him in on the secret. He already knows, okay? It's just like the sins. He's, you're, not, you're not confessing to let him in on it. <laughs> Believe me, he was there. I, I do think occasionally my guardian angel, angel has to hide his eyes. I mean, there must be, I sometimes think, you know, it must be hard to be a guardian angel. There must be times when my guardian angel has to sort of be like, oh, not again. You know, uh, yeah, so to whom all hearts are open, boom, and from whom no secrets are hid. See, secrets destroy you. Secrets are the way of chaos. That's why gossip is so difficult, because gossip is secret. It goes quickly to lie. It destroys everything. It is evil incarnate. In the name of God the Father, and we'll, we'll go through this in a little bit, okay? So the pastor, say, you say together, in the name of God the Father, I'm Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'm baptized. He loves me. I'm here because he loves me. Hear my prayer. Let my cry come for you. Notice you just say the psalm. I'm not making it up. It's like the psalms are reliable. They were on Jesus' lips before they were on your lips. This is going to be okay. Have mercy on me. This great psalm of David when he committed adultery and then his child died and the Lord still kept him king and the Lord still loved him. And have mercy. Wash away. I know my transgressions. I got sins that are always before me. You've had this, I'm sure. You've had a sin or two, I hope, in your life as you've come to this, where you just, where it's just there, and you know, you, it bothers you so much you got to be free of it. Against you, you only. See now, again, that's not about the pastor, per se. It's about, you know, the Lord, and I've done what's evil. And then the penitent alone says, this, and and you should see this. Just first commandment: I lived as if God did not matter, and as if I mattered most. Second commandment, my Lord's name I have not honored as I should. Third commandment, my worship and prayers are faulty. Fourth through tenth commandment, I didn't let his love have its way with me, with my family, with my wife, with the people I serve, because I lied about them, because I lusted for things I shouldn't have lusted for, because I wasn't happy for my neighbor when he prospered. You know, you just pick. So um, I've lived as if I haven't let his love, I haven't loved you well if I don't let you have the things that God intends for you, the good. My love for others have failed. I could have done better with that. There are those whom I've hurt, those I've failed to help. So there's things, you know, you can, you can hurt somebody by punching them in the nose. You can also hurt somebody by not keeping somebody else from punching them in the nose. You know, sometimes just driving by. You know, this great experience on, on Wednesdays. 
coral damage, you know. I just, I mean, the things that people will do for it. Coral Ganey comes out, he's got a big flat tire on that great big truck he drives. So, I mean, what's, I mean, what's going to happen to Ganey with a flat tire, okay? I mean, if he could work with his hands, he'd work with his hands, right? <laughs> I mean, just, come on now. So, you know, one of the members says, you know, let me just fix that up for you. Calls AAA, stays with it till it's all good. Graciously fixed the driver after we've turned our back. Makes the driver feel good, makes the baby feel good. Spends an extra 90 minutes out of his night, takes good care of him. I mean, he could have walked away, but instead he said, oh, you're in trouble. It's a little thing. It's a little thing. We could have figured it out ourselves, but we didn't have to. Somebody else figured it out. It was a little thing, but it's a great kindness. It's a little thing that becomes a great big thing. That's what makes the world go round a little better, okay? My thoughts and deeds have been filled with sin, but particularly troubles me is that. Now, let me tell you a little something about that. <coughs> Initially, when people came, and you know, part of it is you, you have to kind of learn to figure out how to do this with people. Initially, um, I would let people speak a sentence or two, or maybe not. By the way, just so you know, you don't have to speak anything at that point. If you want to come and this is just so more than too much for too much for them, you, know, you don't have to say anything there. Although you kind of miss an opportunity, but if you need, you know, five times to kind of get in the groove, completely fine. Um, often, I would not speak to people there, especially if they were struggling, because I thought, you know, you just have to kind of, to kind of gasp them for breath. You got to kind of get them through it, and then see what happens. Although, um, and partly it was people were so traumatized, and they're coming, and so like, you know. Normally people have stored something up or something happened when they were 12 and they've worried about their whole life. But what I've learned is, and what you should take advantage of there, that's not too much different than um, just talking over a cup of coffee or coming to the pastor's office. See, almost everybody here, I think, almost everybody here would come to the pastor's office. That's not so threatening, right? But to come to the altar, oof, right? But the thing is, is it's not that much, it's not that much different. You're basically saying, I haven't been as good a husband as I should have been, or I could have done better by this, or I really wish I wouldn't have said that, or I hurt somebody desperately here and I don't know what to do. To which your pastor will say, that's all forgiven, but really, and this is really important, but you should go talk to him in the way of Matthew 18. I mean, here, and this is what people often don't get. This is, this is extraordinarily important, especially Lutherans don't get this. You make up where you can. Sometimes Lutherans think, I sinned, I got forgiven, that's, that's the end of it. In a sense, it is the end of it. But if you rob the bank, if you rob the Chase Bank, and you come and you sit the money down before the die packs go off in my office, and you say, I'm really sorry, I just robbed the bank. I'm going to forgive you, and then we're going to go take the money back. Okay? You make up where you can. You can't, you can't steal Gaining's car, confess to me, and then drive the car home. Okay? <laughs> Now, you, I mean, that kind of makes sense to you, but now, now think about it this way. You can't tell a lie about somebody, <laughs> go and confess the lie, and then not go to the person and make up. Or better than that, go to the people that you told the lie to and say, I'm a liar, but that's okay. I'm forgiven now, and I just want to undo as best I can. Now, it's very difficult. You know, and I have to, I'll put the vicar on this, but my favorite, my favorite Zen saying, you know, which is <clears throat> an arrow shot and an unkind word neither can be recalled. But if you've lied about somebody, if you've gossiped about somebody, once you're forgiven, your responsibility is to go 
tell everybody. So if I uh, sit at lunch with you, you six, five, six, you six, and I say, if I tell you a lie about gaming, and later I confess it, my next step is to call each of you and say, I lied, I shouldn't have lied, I'm very sorry, I've squared it up with Pastor Gaming, I want to square it up with you, I know it'll be terribly difficult for you to forget, but try to forget, because I lied. I'm a liar, but I'm the Lord's liar, I'm a forgiven liar. People don't understand that you go back and make it up where you can, because otherwise what happens is, yeah, I'm squared up, but all of you aren't. You know why? Because you hate him. Because why? Because you believe the lie, right? So you make up where you can, and that's, that's a huge thing that people don't understand. There's one in the pastors in this book, um, you know, it's made for pastors, and there's a different confession for the morning. One of the confessions says, I think it's Thursday morning, says, Make the memory of my sins so painful that I never do them again. You know, here's the thing. That's a remembering that is not in contradiction with what he said before. Because I want to remember that I lied about you, and I want to remember how that hurt you. And here's what people don't understand. I want to remember how that hurt me. And it also hurt all of them. So look what I've done. I've hurt you. I've hurt me. I've hurt all of them. So next time I'm about to gossip or lie, what I want to say is, that does a lot of damage. I mean, there's eight people who go home worse than they were before. So guess what? Don't do it. And if it's going on, don't listen. And if you can script the courage beyond the not listening, tell people to stop. You get it? Now, a lot of times Lutherans get that all confused with penance. That's not penance. That's just doing what's right. If you rob a bank, you take the money back. You get it? If you tell a lie, you untell it insofar as you're able. Some things are easier to do. If you take $50,000, take $50,000 back. The thing is, if I lie, if I lie about him to you guys, you get about 24 hours where you're utterly polluted, or 48, or maybe a lifetime. Maybe I've ruined him for life. Because you'll never go to him because of what I told you. See how that works? So you need to undo it, and then part of being Christians is learning to forget, too. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm not talking about working your sins up. I'm talking about making wrongs right. Go ahead. Yes. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, you pick up, when you pick up the money bag and carry it out with those big, like Yosemite Sam has with those dollar bill things on the side, I'm going to probably remember. Um, no, what I'll say to you is, is I've forgotten the sin in the sense that the sin is forgiven. But one doesn't, you can't do a sin, get forgiven, do a sin, get forgiven, do a sin, get forgiven. If you keep doing that, at some point your confessor is going to say, what's cooking, right? In the same way, you can't do a sin and not give the money back. Part of the forgetfulness is making up for it. Not in the sense that it, your forgiveness depends on it, but if you don't do that, it wasn't a sincere confession, and that's between you and the Lord. Now, as his guy, I'm going to say, man, if you take the money home and spend it, you, you probably didn't mean it, and I wouldn't have much confidence in that. I, you know, I, I'm not saying anything the Lord wouldn't say. I mean, bear fruits that, that repentance or the whole stuff we're doing on Sunday with Galatians and James. Yeah, I'll forget it after you drop the money off. How's that? Okay. Um, That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, there are sometimes consequences. The, uh, three times in my life as a pastor, I've had people who have, who have drunk themselves to death, literally. And what happens is it's a horrible thing to see somebody who does this because there's a point where you get past the point where your body can do anything and you have this period of a couple of days to a couple of weeks where you just die because your liver doesn't work, nothing works, and there's nothing they can do for you. So you go see these people. It's, it's happened three times in the time I've been a pastor. You go sit with them, and they're dying. You know they're dying, they know they're dying, and they know they did it to themselves, and they know that there's nothing anybody can do about it, right? So there's consequences to their actions, right? Some things can be undone, some things can't be undone. If you can undo them, you undo them. If you can't undo them, you say, that's what I did, this is the normal course of the world. Uh, you know, and you can name things that can't be undone. If I'm unfaithful to my wife, I can't undo that. You know, I can't undo that. There's nothing I can do that can undo that. Now, she may forgive me. My relationship with her will always be different. It may get better. That will take a ton of work. If I, you know, there's a range of things you can do that can't be undone. And, but that's what takes the parsing of pastoral care. You have to find those things out. And if you try to do that on your own under the stress of the moment, it's very difficult. So partly the reason you do this is so you have some help frankly, from somebody who's got some experience. Sin is what we deal with all day long. It stinks. I mean, I would not, I have part of the thing about, you know, are you still going to like me or can I say this? Part of the thing, you know what? If I never knew another bad thing about anybody in the rest of my life, I would be so happy. I would be so happy never to know another bad thing about anybody. I am full up with stuff that I know bad about people. I could, I could care less. And partly there's some sorrow when he says, at a young age, there's nothing you can do that's useful. To, I mean, short of you coming in and saying, I just axe murdered my family, and I'm being real serious here, short of saying, I just killed somebody, there's pretty much nothing. just a different kind of world. And that doesn't mean, you know, all those people are bad people. There were great people there, but there was this kind of thing that was in the midst. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, one of the real mistakes I've learned over the years of being a pastor is, is we all presume, I presume that in any situation you're going to act like I act and I'm going to act like you're acting. So people often presume about their pastor, that you pre, people often presume I'm going to act the way you're going to act. I've had a whole different trajectory in my life that has sort of trained me to act in a different way, you know. Um, but that's true for anybody. That's true for a banker. That's true for a lawyer. That's true. If a lawyer gets a traffic stop, 
I'm sure he acts very differently than I do, right? If a doctor has, you know, a spot that won't go away and itches and is red, I'm sure he thinks very differently about that than I do. He's either saying, sure, I, I gotta, or he's like, that's nothing, everybody's got one of those, right? But what am I doing? I'm like, I'm dying. Or, or I'm, that's nothing, and then I do die, right? So the world is a different kind of place. Um, don't control it. Don't try to control it. And be ready to chatter a little bit. I've actually come to the point where I think making people laugh in the middle of private confession isn't such a bad thing. It should come to the point where you can sort of recognize your sins and uh, come to some, some uh, joyfulness about it. I've gone a long time. You want to go? What do you got? I know you got stuff on your list. Your list or the whole list? No, no, I don't have yours, I don't think. Did you leave a line someplace? Um, I, I may have taken the list, that may be true, but I was only, I thought you had one more. Well, I, go ahead. Oh, it yeah, is. Yeah, it might be inside your book. That's why we have you here. Oh, exactly. The only other thing is to, you know, just to kind of talk about this. One of the things I've been, see what you got there, because I, I have one other observation that probably take us through to the oh, end. Oh, yes, right. You got more there? Yes, please. <laughs> Good. That's what Luther used to wear his confessor out yeah, like right. that. He would go, and then his confessor would try to sneak out, and they'd, I got some, you know. <laughs> what I would, what I would um, suggest to you, that is actually true, and, we, we, and in the midst of confession, you can talk about why you have a conscience like that. It'd be an interesting thing to talk about. It could be a range of things, okay? So here's what I would say to you. Um, you're probably going to get to the Eucharist before you get to private confession one more time. My, my first thing would be to you, would say, when you go to the Eucharist this week, and I know you always come, you're always there, do one thing at the Eucharist this week. Consciously leave all your sins at the altar. We'll take care of them. We know what to do with them. There's always a big, we have dump trucks come in on <laughs> Monday. We load them up, and they're like, right? Leave everything you've got at the altar on Sunday. Leave it all then it'll be very interesting to think what's still on your list on Tuesday, and we should ask why. If you have the whole list still, we've got to ask why. If there's a couple of things, we've got to ask why. If there's nothing, we've got to ask why. There'll be a different answer for each of those kinds of things, right? Now, but the thing is now, and you're actually very brave because you're kind of asking for a little pastoral care publicly, so I'm going to give you a little but not too much. But partly is you've sort, of, you're, you've sort of got this numbering system going on, okay? So my advice to you in preparation for the Eucharist, go ahead and number them out. You know how people, if you know this, one of the treatments for, I, I once knew a guy who obsessively compulsively washed his hands, and you can do this for many OCD things, but we wash it. So the doctor's prescription was what? What do you think they put? Exactly. Wash your hands. He's like, yes, you do. Those hands are so nice. You know, you need to wash those hands a thousand times a day. That was the prescription. <laughs> so what's the guy do? Like he's making a sandwich. He has to wash his hands. The bread. He has to, the peanut butter. He has to wash his hands again. But pretty soon, by the, by the end of a month, what's he saying? The guy's an idiot. He's got me washing my hands all the time. What's he do? I'm never washing my hands again. Cured, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, so the thing is, is number them all out. 
So let's sort, of, let's sort of see then what that looks like. So are you going to get to 99 or 199? Or are you going to be still be going next Wednesday? Are you going to be like at 10,099? And we sort of ask the question about what that is. And then if we start to see like 3 and 33 and 333 and 933 are all the same, I'm going to think, why are those on there four times? Is it because you, you know? So there's a range of reasons why. But yeah, so, so the first thing is, is go ahead and prepare. Spill your guts at the Eucharist when you come and leave it all spilled up there. Just spill it all out and just leave it, okay? We'll wear galoshes and rubber aprons. It's gonna be fine. Okay, just like leave it all there, okay? And then let's see what happens. Just, just try it once and see what happens. Just try it once. And you can start now. I mean, it's, you know, although I don't want to give you a grim weekend, but sort of, you know, you're 48 hours out. Uh, and when you're there, kind of, and then, then see what happens, okay? Because it's just, yeah, it's gonna be a different answer. Go ahead. What's faith again? Okay, faith agrees with Jesus. So you come to confession, and Ganey says, do you believe the, the forgiveness I'm about to give us? Yes, I do. I forgive in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Ganey, it's not magic, but something does happen. And there's a difference. But magic is by force, but, and, and forgiveness isn't by force. Jesus just forgave your sins. So he's going to go home and have a double scotch and not think about you, because he's going to think, this is great. Everything is forgiven. That's as much as he remembers. He doesn't know. He doesn't remember what happened. All he knows is you're forgiven. You're going to go home and say, "I'm still a sinner." So Jesus says, "He's forgiven." What were you saying again? And you're saying, so you're saying, "I'm not forgiven." Yeah. So now well, let's see here. I seem to have what a psychologist would call. Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Jesus says, she's forgiven. You say, so I would say to you, the faithful thing is to say what Jesus says. So when, you're, when you say, I'm not forgiven, it still bothers me. Here, what I'm going to say is the very first words I ever said to you. The first two things I said when I came here was, forgive me for all the stupid things I'm about to do. You were too young to remember that, but it's in writing. <laughs> and when I leave, the last thing I'm going to say to you is, Forgive me for all the stupid things I did to you. And the second thing I said to you was, it's not about you. So if I have to choose between believing Jesus and believing you, I'm going to believe Jesus, and you should believe Jesus too. He's just a bigger deal than you are. I mean, it's not about you. So, okay, so if it's still bothering, you should say, I feel still, still feel like a schmo, but Jesus says I'm forgiven, so I'm going to go with him today. Go with him. Go with Jesus. If you have to choose between Stacia and Jesus, I mean, your choice. Tough choice. Uh, tough choice. Tough choice. Naturally. Naturally a tough choice. Yeah, we'll all agree. Yeah. Right. Go. Right. Right. But Jesus, good, 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 good. 
Good. Well, you can add that on. Jesus says she's forgiven, and then Jesus says, undo where you're able, right? So go undo it. Because then you say, it's going to be really painful to undo it. It's going to, it's going to be really hard to go to the station and say, I lied about Holly. But go undo it. Jesus says, undo it. And then Jesus says, once it's undone, live in peace. So you're right. So that's just more agreeing with Jesus. Just agree with him. Just, you know what? The Christian life is not that hard. It's just doing what Jesus asks you to do. Not because it saves you. This is all Sunday morning. If you're getting boxed up because you think you're doing good works to save you, it's not because it saves you. It's because that's what Jesus asked you to do. It is. Okay, good. No, 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 no. What I want you to do is, what I want you to do is tend the discipline. Because what will happen is, and this is really important, if you say the Jesus prayer 10,000 times a day, and if you go to the Eucharist every morning, like it's often during Lent, I knew that's good, so I'm not putting the press over, I'm just saying. And you go to church every Sunday, and you observe, uh, what happens is grace, is, grace builds up. It's have, it has its way with you. It beats down what is sinful in you. This actually works. And it's actually a reality. Jesus actually touches you at the altar. He touches you in baptism. He touches you with his living word. He, and each touch is a healing touch. So what you need is repeated exposure. It'll go away. Just, here's the thing, just do with it. Do you remember the quote we often give you from the, remember the kid stands up and says to the priest, the Orthodox priest, I can't say the creed anymore because I just don't believe it. And the priest is kind of like, oh, you know, I can't say the creed anymore. I just don't believe it. I don't believe in the virgin birth. I just... And he's like, he says to him, how, how old are you, 24, 25, 26? He says, you're just a kid. Just keep saying it. With sort of any luck, 10, 15 years, it'll be yours. Yeah, it goes, so the thing is, is, yeah, it's not like, but, but see, you might, sometimes people devalue the church, but just, I don't know, if you have Lyme disease and they give you the antibiotics, it takes about nine months for it to work through. You know, if you have cancer, they first they cut you, and then they <coughs> shoot you, and then they <coughs> put stuff in you, and people are completely cool with all that pain over a long period of time. What if they paid the same amount of attention to their sins and took the same amount of pain? What if when you came to private confession, we made you puke? <laughs> when you go for your chemo, you're very willing to puke, are you not? You are. You're very willing to puke for your chemo. What if I came at you with sharp instruments? What's the first thing a dentist says? Never put anything sharp in your mouth. When you sit down at a dentist, what's the first thing they do? They grab a sharp thing and they put it in your mouth, okay? I mean, what if, see, in all sorts of other ways, with things that are far less important, we're willing to take far more pain. But for the one thing that matters most, why is that? Because we don't really believe this, or we're not really as Christian as we think we are. We don't really care as much about other people as we say, or we don't really want to love. That, and so that's why this whole rhythm of the Christian life, that's why the liturgy is dependable, and we give you the liturgy, because the liturgy's been worked out over 2,000 years, and we know it works. It, it does something to you over the course of your Why did Ray Newberg die the way Ray Newberg died? Because he went to the Eucharist every week for six years. It makes a difference. But it's cumulative. Let, let this be cumulative the way you let chemotherapy or antibiotics or psychotherapy or anything else that you do be cumulative. There's very few other places where you get cured like that. You know, why do we expect that? Mm-hmm. 
No, it means you're absolutely ready to confess it. Let me just ask you, and again, because it's very close to being, I'm not trying to do pub, private things in public. And I'm not talking about myself. Fantastic. So, so here's the thing. Let me just ask you. <laughs> let me ask you about other people. So ask, ask yourself about other people. Is it a secret? So first you start with, is it a secret? Okay, secrets are utterly debilitating. I mean, think of the things that are secret. People who are functional alcoholics, people who have been molested, people who have molested somebody else, people who have you know, killed somebody and taken another identity, people who just were never loved by their parents and always secret. I mean, just pick the things that are secret. It never gets better until you say, this is, who it, this is what it was, this is who we are, right? So part of the thing is secrets just tend to eat people up. Not that you should go on Oprah. Oprah. Oprah satisfies. She satisfies a need. Dr. Phil, Jerry Springer, he satisfies a need to get things public. The problem is suffering becomes entertainment rather than absolution, right? It's, it's suffering is entertainment. We're interested in that because it makes us feel better about ourselves, because we think it's funny, because pick a reason. It's suffering's entertainment. Why would, why would you go on Jerry Springer rather than go to private confession? I mean, well, yeah, well, you, well, well and I think, I think partly, you know, uh, if you can't give it up, you've got a different sin to confess then. So if you've, if you've lied about someone and that's ruined a relationship with them, and you confess that and forgive it and you square it all up, that's done with. But if you say, I can't give it up, that's actually a different sin. You're not confessing that you've lied. Your next sin is, I can't give up all that stuff in the past. And you begin to think about that. It's like washing your hands if you're OCD. You begin to think about not giving it up, and you forget even what the sin was. And eventually the Lord can square everything up. Wouldn't you say that's a different? It's yeah. actually a different sin at that point. It's not that you lied. Right. It's that you can't give up that sin. But see, you wouldn't go to the doctor one time. The doctor, what's the favorite thing the doctor says to you? I'll see you again in eight days. Or come back next week. Or they used to say that, not as much, but, or see the physician's assistant in, you know, or we'll t need to take the stitches out in 10 days. I mean, that's a regular, but in the church, we, we give such minimal care first, and then we never have any follow-up, and we don't show any discipline, and yet we expect these most difficult things to work out. I would say, you know, just even looking at you, I would say your spiritual woes are at least as bad. For most people, their spiritual woes are at least as bad as their physical woes. For most people. I would say they're on a I would say most people are more physically healthy than they are spiritually healthy, and yet the soul gets almost no attention, you know? And we rebel against it. We, we don't want it. We'll fix it ourselves, or it's too painful. You, gosh, why live in so much pain? Why, why live with so much? People live in, with so much unnecessary pain. It's really quite remarkable. Um, I don't know. But anyway, there's a way out. Yes, please. All get along? Yes, we can.
what's the difference? What's the difference between waking up every morning and taking your medicine for glaucoma? And what's the difference between that and waking up every morning and saying your prayers? There's no difference. You have one ill, so you take your medicine. Don't you smoke dope for glaucoma? Oh, never mind. <laughs> so, so you take your medicine. Well, well never mind. <laughs> you know, that went to your lips just a little too easily there. Yes, that's right. I saw it in the movies, exactly right. So, so the thing is, if a doctor said to you, you know, take one of these every morning and you'll be better, but you know, it's a maintenance deal, you're chronic, so you take this every morning, if you don't take it, but if you take it, it'll work out. Why isn't it just to let you get up in the morning? I mean, there was a reason people said their prayers twice a day, morning and evening, in the temple in Jesus' time. There's a reason the monks said seven times a day. There's a reason, I mean, there's reasons for this stuff. It's the, it's the repeated touch of Jesus, the repeated application of grace. And it'll work if you let it work, if you let it have its way. But see, we don't want to let it have its way. We want to always bend it. We want to argue with it. So my, my very first thing I said was, don't control it. Don't try to control it. Just have what he gives you. Just have it. Just see what happens. You see how weird this is? This is so different from how any of us were brought up. talking about him or Jesus or us? Yeah, I mean, part of, part of it is on us. Part of it is on us because we don't keep regular hours. But if I would have come my first day here and say, and I'll be here to hear confession every Friday from 8 to noon, I would have lasted two days. Because that was so far out of people's ken, they wouldn't have known what to do. Although I will say at some point, what the pastors need to do is keep hours. You, because here's what happens. You need to know that we're here, that there is a pastor here, here at Confession, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, from 8 in the morning till 10 in the morning. And what pastors do is they sit and pray for you. They wait for you and pray for you to appear. And if nobody appears, you wait and pray for two hours. That's what you do. That's why if you ever look at a confessional, there's always a prayer book, a psalm book, and maybe something from the fathers to read because they, they sit and wait for you to appear. We may be getting to the point where we can do that. Um, but see, look, we cut the class in half just by talking about this. Right? So, yeah. But here's the thing. Good. Yeah, you're right. But, but, but the problem with that is, is, here's the thing. When you go to the waiting, office, waiting room in your doctor's office, everybody's naked on the other side of that wall. So why, isn't, why don't we come in? Why, the, and this, see, again, this is the screw-up of the church, which is, if you, if, let's say she comes to private confession. What do you think about her? Man, she did a big one. Isn't that what you're thinking? Because you're thinking it's extraordinary care, when in reality, in the scriptures, it's ordinary care. What does Jesus do? He bumps up to people and he goes, your leprosy's gone, and I forgive you all your sins. Have a nice day. It's Mark chapter, is it two? It is Mark chapter two, the guy down through the thing. What's he do? He can't walk, so what does Jesus do to him? Forgive you. And then people are like, whoa, that's a disappointment. And he's like, ah, oh, Jesus, if you want the little thing, you can have the little thing too. Get up and walk, go home. We're really busy. We've got to get over to Peter's house for dinner. Right? Isn't that what happens? 
So he forgives them the big thing. He forgives them. And if he's there for your soul, he's there for your body. But it's just the most normal thing, like, okay, gee, okay. See, read the Kapan thing. See, we still think about, we have this notion of sin that it's just, we don't have this notion of sin that's in us all the time like a chronic cough. If you had a chronic cough, if you were coughing every 10 minutes, you would take something. You would take something because it would bother you. It would take something because pretty soon you don't have any friends. It's, you would take something because your husband is making you sleep on the couch. You would take something because they, you know, you would take something. But we don't think about our sins in that same way, so we don't take anything, right? Now, here's the thing. If you have a chronic cough and you take something, what do people say? Thank God she finally took something. If you have chronic sins and you come to confession, what do people say? Well, can you believe she took something? I can't believe she took something. Why is that? Because we're stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, Catholics don't use the confessional anymore. And they changed the name from to reconciliation, yeah. Brilliant. And, and Would you rather go to urgent care or your family physician? <laughs> you know what? I love urgent care too. You know why? Because you can get the drugs. It is so easy to get the drugs at urgent care, man. Your family physician is like, that might be a virus. I don't know if we should. You come back and you come back in 12 days if you still have it. We'll get. And what do they do at urgent care? They're like. Here's a prescription in case you, and here's one for this, and in case you need this, what are you doing? You're, you're, it's like poker chips. You're like, yeah, <laughs> called and won. Poor guy. What was the I first? What was the first thing? And I'm going to let you. I got one thing, and I'm going to let well, you. Well, we're out of time now, buddy. Times. I know. But I, got, I got one thing. What was the? What, what was the? <laughs> what was the first thing I ever told you about your first child? Do you remember what was the first thing I ever told you to do with your first child? I said to do one thing, and I was proud when I came to your house and you were actually doing it. What was the first thing I said to you? From her first day. So, right, so there would never be a day in her life when she didn't know the song. When we, when we took Father Reardon, mm -hmm. Father Patrick. Uh, Henry Reardon, yeah. What did, when we, what did we, a we ask him about? When do you commute, we said, when do you commune kids? He said, when they're baptized. 
We said, well, why is that? He said, so they never know a day in their life without the Eucharist. All right, now press the issue, which is, if you would have gently, as a child, been led into confession and absolution, and never had a day when you didn't know confession and absolution, you wouldn't have to ad- ask what is a very honest question. Okay, so now you know what Danny just did to his. Go ahead, tell him. It's your time to confess. When you teach your kids to come to confession and talk to them, how you doing? When you teach, when you take kids upstairs and teach them to come to confession, yeah, you, do they know that you should do that to them? I don't know if they know that. You should go ahead and tell them what you do. Oh well, we bring them all through confession. Do you know this about your? We kids? bring them all through the rite. Every every kid in confirmation. Three or four times a year. So that from the age of 10, 11, 12, they know confession. Now we're very careful about it. We do a couple of things. One is we don't take kids alone because we don't want any other baggage or things that can bring kids along. So there'd be four or five kids in the back pew and they come up one at a time in view of other kids. Second is... Um, we don't let them confess. We don't let them confess, exactly. Anything in particular. Because yeah. I don't want some mother in my office complaining that I'm trying to oh. pull sins out of the kids. Of the Although the great one was after we had done it two or three times. Yeah, listen to that. So let me set you up. Hold yeah, up. go ahead. Yep. So, so we say to the kids, we haven't talked to your parents. We understand that they might not be cool with this yet. So we're going to go through this right. And what it says, what particularly troubles me is, just don't say anything. We're going to move through. We're just trying to get you used to this. And we don't want any pressure on you. It's, it's zero pressure. Kids come, they kneel, they spit it out. It's like do 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 zero risk. So how do they feel when they go back? They feel like, that was a blast, no risk, right? So what happens is they get used to the right. Okay, now get this. So third time in, an eighth grade boy says, we get to the point, point what troubles me particularly. He stops and says, uh, can I say something here? Very strange. But he's to the point where he's so comfortable with the right and with the pastor that he can actually begin to speak his sins. I mean, I wonder actually if your question can be turned to your advantage, which is, you may be, ner- you may be nervous, but I wonder if you could say, he knows, he knows me so well, and, and he's never screwed me in the past, that maybe if I go to confession, because he knows me so well and he's never never done anything to hurt me, he might just give me better care than someone whom I've never met before. I wonder if you can turn the situation to your advantage and say, it's going to be tough, but I'm going to get better care because of the relationship. When I go, when I go for my annual physical, the guy, I always schedule the first appointment of the day and the doctor gives me an hour. I have a great doctor. We talk for 50 minutes. We talk about him, me, my kids, his kids. He asked me about my soul. He asked me about my church. We talk about his soul. We talk about his church. We talk about this, that. I tell him everything. He remembers stuff from the last time. He says, I wrote this down last time. Here we go. Blah, blah. The fir- it is like I, I welcome going to a guy who knows everything about me. This still hurts. That doesn't hurt. We check that. That's got x-rayed. This, you know. So when I go to him, he has this, he can give me extraordinary specific care. And it's, it's, it's an extraordinary comfortable relationship. Now, you know, not everything about that is comfortable. It wasn't comfortable at the beginning when I was getting to know him, but now that I know him, it's, it's a, it's a, so, you know, we have, to, we have to play the hand we're dealt. You know, we're, this is the hand we're dealt. It's difficult. This isn't by force. It's probably a good thing. Um, I think your question goes back to the very first thing. It actually goes back to Carol's very honest question. It's a very, very honest question. And it's something that, it's a question because we didn't grow up with it. 
you know, that we just, then it, then it gets inserted because we didn't do what we should have been doing. Now we have, so you don't get out of trouble, you stay out of trouble. So we've gotten into trouble. We took this away from people. In our confessions, it says, the Catholics say, we've abolished confession. Not true. We go to confession more than they do. We go to confession more. Whatever happened to that? That's in our, conf that's in our confession. That's who Lutheran, Lutheran said, we're the ones who go to confession all the time. You guys never do that. We're the ones who esteem the voice of Christ. You guys never do that. You're the guys who go under the law. We go under the gospel. We're the ones who understand this is the living voice that orders life. Somehow over the years we lost that. You know, part of it is, is I'm, I, I grieve my age a lot because things move so slowly in the church. I'm going to be dead before this catches back up again with all of you and maybe, and maybe the next group of guys or maybe the group after that or maybe just in this place, you know. Just, just maybe, just maybe, you know, you see? And, and part of it is, I know people are still like, we're pushing on them so hard. We're pushing on them so hard because we die. At some point we die. We only have so many heartbeats left. And if we don't push, we never get past these very difficult things. So, it's, um, I, don't know, I don't know. Right, because here's the thing. No, you might be some. You might be some combination of the two, because you might not have to hold up the gen facade anymore. Oh. I know. I, especially in Wheaton. I know. <laughs> and it's, it's work because you got to, like your kid has to be the best soccer player and your husband has to be, and you have to drive the nicest car and, you know, you got to have the, you got to be a little Stepford wife-ish and, you know, Steve's got to be, I know, it's a, it's a burden. Maybe we could sort of extract that from you. Maybe you could just, like, just be, maybe you could be not sinful, Jen, and maybe you could not be fake, Jen. Maybe you could be something like Jen the way God created you in Eden. Maybe something like that. Maybe that would be, maybe that kind of take the pressure off and, Maybe so. And maybe that would be okay. Maybe the Lord actually knows that you're a sinner from, the, from whom no secrets are hidden, no hearts are open. Maybe he actually knows who you are. Maybe what he's kind of asking you to do is be the forgiven person that he knows you are and kind of like dispense with the two ends of the spectrum. Exactly. It's hard for everybody. Look, so the two ends of the spectrum are you have to pretend that you're perfect, which people in Wheaton are extraordinarily easy. What always strikes me is when, when a family has a crisis here and they leave the congregation, rather than getting help. We've had this happen. People lose a job. They disappear. Sometimes they can't even get a forwarding address or phone. Why? They, have to, they lose a job. They sell their house. And what? Well, they can't keep up anymore, so they have to move. And we, like, run into them three years later. Like, whatever happened to you? No forwarding address. I mean, this has happened in this congregation. Why? Because they couldn't maintain the perfection. And, of course, they felt what you feel, which is if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. Right? But the other side is not true either. You're, you know, yeah, you're horrible but you're the Lord's horrible, which means you're not horrible. It means you're forgiven horrible, which means you're forgiven, which means now our duty, not our emotion, our joy is to love you the way it is. See, and you can't believe that either because you can't believe that I don't love you if I don't like you. And those are two completely different things. Like is about emotion. It's who I like to hang out with, you know, who I like to go bowling with, go drink beer with, you know. <laughs> That's about liking things. That's very different from... Loving, loving people is, love is action. That's what people don't understand. Love is not emotion. Emotion, love is emotion is a very recent creation. Love is duty. Love is action. Jesus, when he loves people, what does Jesus do? He changes them. He heals them. They can see all of a sudden. That's a change. He doesn't say, I love you and walk by. He's like, you can see, 
your leprosy's gone, you can walk, and geez, your demons are out. Finally, Donna, the demons are out, thank God, you know. It's, it's funny, every year I come to my Sunday morning Bible study, and every year I say, we should do forgiveness of sins. And then every year I say, ah, oh, we'll do something more interesting. Actually, we're going to do forgiveness next year, because here's the thing. What I've really learned in the last six months is, people have real trouble just telling what right and wrong is. And people don't know what right and wrong is because it's so defined by their emotion or how they feel about things. Right and wrong is not a matter of emotion. It's a matter of the revelation of God. There's just so much work to do here. We're way over. I actually thought we'd go, you know, 20 minutes and be done, to be honest, but I, I always underestimate what's happening. Got anything else? We never did this. You well, can I take one of these if you want. I think what you just said was, is helpful, especially as you begin to think about, you know, you asked, what should I do for Sunday? Um, you know, you may have 99 problems. Exactly. But, you know. <laughs> there you go. I love you. That was kind of an Abby. Now, don't you like. just feel better about it? Don't you, do? don't you feel a little better about it? And you're the only one that knows. And that. No, no, come on. And here's the that thing. You know what the good away. thing is? <laughs> now suddenly we know something about you and you know something yeah, about right. us. Isn't that great? But I think coming, here's a very important thing, and this is what you ended with by an objective standard. Use the scriptures. Use the ten words. Use the catechism, and and try to sort out what si- what really is a sin. I'm always struck by when people come in and say, That's "I got all good. this stuff yes, to confess." Right, right, in fact, right. one person came in and started. Uh, this was probably two or three months ago. Started and went about an hour. No lie. And this is this is a fun moment. I said, "Wow, that was long." <laughs> you can laugh. This person laughed too. I said, "Wow, that was long." And this person, of course, it kind of breaks the tension then, and he chuckles. But the point is, emotional ups and downs, having a good day, having a bad day, you know, those are not sins. So don't come in and say, I woke up and I didn't feel good. You know, you come in and you say, I did this, I did that, because the objective standard, Christ, Scripture, Catechism, the ten words say, this is how you live, and this is how I've fallen outside of those, outside of Christ, essentially. So if you do that, it'll make it much, much easier. You may not have 500 things to confess, then you may have two. In fact, I'm always struck also when you actually break down what people actually, what their sins actually are. It's usually one thing or two things. You know, and, and a dozen fear, symptoms. And a dozen symptoms. Yeah, this, the, but the symptoms aren't the sins. Yeah, exactly. It's the sin. So what's the sin? All right. You, you know, you can take these if you want. They're a little, um, they're a little spooky. It's a little, it's a little uh, spooky in the sense it's a little harsher than uh, you might hear from us, although the guy that wrote it is a, is a well-respected guy. He's sainted now. He's died. He was a good uh, guys who had him at the seminary, and he was, who, he was a professor at Balfour, guys who had him at the seminary, and, and he's pastor. He left Balfour to pastor a very uh, difficult, a very poor church in, not difficult, a very poor church in Gary for much of his life. I mean, this is a guy who had, but he was, he's old school direct, and some of you may find that more than you can bear. But in the other hand, maybe we've been remiss in not speaking to the cross that way. We were actually going to go through that today, but, you know, obviously we're way behind, so what, way whatever. Man. Fine. All right. Um, anyway, leave it all at the altar on Sunday, and then if you want to come, it's not next week, is it? Two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks, yep. What, and what are our hours? They're posted somewhere. I think they're 3 30. It's in the bulletin. We'll come, but you we'll can call. Here. Here's the thing. There's nothing we'd rather do than be at the altar or hear yeah. confession, so call us any time. So, yeah, that's right.
That's a great question. We'll, we'll hear confession from anybody who wants Jesus. At least I would. Me too. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our, Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you. Have fun.